Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Ah. Ah. Big sigh. Hmm. That's, that's, big that's, sigh. You know, you know, a, a big sigh. Um, I actually once knew someone called Big Sigh, uh, and the reason he was called Big Sigh <laughs> was because there was another Simon at the same club who was called Little Simon. Um, I can't remember which one came first or whether both of them joined around the same time, and so we differentiated them by height. They obviously had different things differentiating them as well, but height was the most obvious. So there was a big sigh, little sigh, as opposed to good-looking sigh, ugly sigh. Or, <laughs> That's uh, probably nicer. Or clever sigh, thicky sigh, or something. Like that. <laughs> uh, but but uh, <laughs> all that said, I think a good, uh, a relaxed sigh is worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. They came from beyond the grave. Finished its Kickstarter. Uh, last it did, year, and did tremendously well. Yes, we ended at, what was the total, just for 56000 Oh, I stopped counting. After the money stopped filling my bathtub, I... <laughs> <laughs> do you have one of those Scrooge McDuck-like rooms of gold coins? Yes, I do, and uh, surprisingly uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, once I got older and started questioning that, I was like, that would not be something you could dive into. That would be very unpleasant. Unless it was molten gold. Also unpleasant. I mean, did you see Game of Thrones? <laughs> you could dive into it once. <laughs> you could dive into anything once. once. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was a fun early tangent. Uh, to go on to your story, uh, Matthew, in my friend group in high school and just after high school, there was a Big Ben and a Little Ben. There you go. Um, and it ended up with most people getting Ben names at some point because mm. we were silly and young um so there was like my friend amy was femben. ben um i was goth ben of course right. but we also used to sing did dixie and the bands we were all hanging out <laughs> um <laughs> so that's um, that's a that's a slice of uh 18 year old dixie's life 19 year old dixie's life <laughs> to be young and fancy free <laughs> to be young and fancy ben um, I didn't fancy Ben. Uh, he was just a friend. But anyway, <laughs> this week we are talking about productivity. Ooh. No, 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 no reaction. Yeah, quiet tumbleweed there. Productivity, you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are I very aware. But it's too productive. <laughs> oh, no. We are very aware that in these, uh, these, these trying times, as I often say, um, Productivity is hard right now, y'all. Yeah. Like, everyone's dealing with some form of depression or anger or just cooped upness or frustration. Um, I know a lot of my friends, including myself, who have mental health issues, have found them worsened uh, in the past few months here. Um, and it's, it makes it hard to be productive. You know, you you look back on what you like used to do in the before times and you're like, why can't I do that anymore? And it's the, the, the answer is nobody really can. Mm, the few people right. that can, in my opinion, are very lucky <laughs> or just have something in their brain that makes them a little different from us because 98% of my friends are feeling less productive and less motivated over the past mm -hmm. few months. Okay. Um, just based on feedback I see on social media and in various discords and Twitter and what have you. 
Um, so with that said, I think that one of the things that a lot of us are finding is that we're needing to find new ways to be mindful about our productivity. It used to be that, you know, I would get up, I would sit at the computer, I would go through my emails, I would go, oh, I should edit this, and I would start working on it. Eventually, I would go, oh, it's two o'clock, I forgot to eat lunch, and I would go eat lunch, and I would come back <laughs> and keep working until it was dinner time. Um, and, you know, generally got six to eight hours a day of work in without too much issue. When I did have, you know, problems, sometimes I would just be like, oh, I'll just write off today and I'll get it done tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a huge stressor. Um, and now I think it's becoming very easy to have several days like that in a row. At least it is for me, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get started. I have too much on my plate. I'm backlogged. Everyone needs something from me. I, I, I'm just going to turn it off, you know? And that's not helpful, obviously, to anybody. Um, so because of that, Eddie has been talking to a lot of us because he's been doing the work from home thing longer than most of us mm-hmm. about how he manages his productivity and his workflow during the day. Um, and it's been really helpful to a lot of us on Onyx Path. Um, definitely been helpful to me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting into it. It's not one of those things that's like a miracle where you learn about it. And then on day one, you're like, I did 10 hours of productive work today. Yeah. How did that happen? It's more of one of those things where you're like, I'm being mindful of this. I mean, mindful when I fall off of it, I do realize that it's helping. So let's keep trying to work with it. Um, and I think that's where a lot of us are right now. I know that we've been having daily little like check-in meetings with a few of us, like me and Danielle Lazon, um, Lauren Roy, Eddie, uh, where we kind of sit there and talk. And we talk about what might be blocking us from getting our work done. And some of that is like mental health issues, you know? It's like, what what might be blocking me today is that I don't feel like working. <laughs> um, and that's valid right now. That's That's normal. Like, Back in February, if I get up and was like, I don't feel like working, I could be like, well, you gotta. And I would just do it. And now it's like, I don't feel like working and the world is terrible and I'm just going to go sit on the couch. (laughs) Um, So, Eddie, let's start talking about some of your kind of high level productivity tips for getting yourself motivated. Uh, Sure. So, I mean, I think the first thing that you've already kind of touched on is that um, a lot of people are looking at what their productivity was and are comparing it to now and finding it lacking. Mm-hmm. And that can be demoralizing and demotivating. Um, one of the things I learned early on when I started working for myself was that I could not compare my productivity in my, my – when I was working in an office environment to productivity working from home. It's like they're just two completely different things. Yeah. Um, and – so I had to start looking at what I was actually accomplishing at the moment. Uh, and as I started doing that, um, when, I, when COVID started, I went through the same thing that you mentioned. It's like I uh, really slowed down and, and a couple of times even stopped working. And it was, I think, maybe even a little harder for me because a combination of I, I hadn't really come to terms with some uh, the fact that I was developing, you know, anxiety and therefore, you know, was mentally ill. Um, but also separately that I had been doing it for so long. It's like, I, I've been doing this for years. Why can't I just get through it? Um, and so what I eventually had to do, my wife, uh, uh, who's been also project managing for, for, for years now, almost a decade, uh, was like, well, dummy, um, you need to actually look at what you're doing now and plan around that. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's like, I think if the first real tip is um, look at what what you're doing now and plan for that. If you can only do an hour a day, that's what you plan for right now. That's what you, that's what you, you, you try to in work, work with the, okay, I'm doing an hour a day. That, that, that's just what it is. Rather than saying, I'm gonna do eight hours a day and fail and eight hours a day and fail and eight hours a day and fail. Do the one mm-hmm. hour that you know you can do. Um, and then slowly build up. It's like a, a stretch goal on a Kickstarter or um, like exercise. Mm-hmm. You, you start to build yourself up from that lower point. Yeah, you don't go run a marathon on day one of running. Like that's, that's ridiculous. You go run a marathon after you've been training to run a marathon for several months. Um, even like looking at things like the couch to 5k programs is a really good uh, analogy for this. Where if, mm-hmm. if, if currently your couch and you want to be at 5k, you start with like 20 minutes here and there. <laughs> right. You don't immediately go to 5k. Yeah. And um, so once you start kind of, of looking at what you're actually doing and then, uh, recognizing that that is what you would accomplish and start to accomplish that. You can also start looking at uh, what I call velocity, which is, okay, in an average time period of an hour or so, I get X amount of work done. And then over the course of the past week, I found X times five done. And so you start to figure out, okay, so I'm realizing that on average, let's let's use writing because word count's a pretty easy metric for for, um, people and also for a lot of people listening to this. Um, so I, I know that right now, uh, my writing velocity is about uh, a thousand words an hour uh, on a really good day. Um, when COVID hit, it was down to like 500. And so I started eventually planning around, okay, well, this is just my new writing velocity. And I'm now back up to pretty close to my original 1000 words an hour. Uh, uh, but when I started my career, I would be lucky if I did like 250 words an hour. Sometimes lucky if I did 300 words an hour. But that was just, that doesn't mean that, I mean, yes, I've improved, obviously. My, my number has gone up and we like, as, as human beings, we like to see numbers go up, gamify, if you will. Um, but the reality is you shouldn't be comparing your workload to mine. You should be comparing your workload to yours. Mm-hmm. If you can do 50 words an hour, that's 50 more words that you did than you did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um I was actually, uh, 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 Matthew shared with me today on Twitter um, an interview, uh, a BBC interview with a, a writer in 1967. And one of the things, I forget the name, unfortunately, um, but one of the things he said was uh, he didn't set a word goal. Uh, his goal was just getting from the typewriter and writes every day. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another piece of this when we're talking about productivity is um, getting building the habit of just do it. If, if you're going to do 50 words, but you've done them. They're done. And then over time, you'll start to miss the work. You'll start, if you, if you skip a day, it's like, I really should be working. Mm-hmm. And not in a guilty sense, but in a itching, trying to get back to that sense, um, which is good. Uh, and then you'll want to do more, push yourself more. Yep. I actually recently, so one of the things that I've been missing during all this is a feeling of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are feeling that way because it used to be like, I mean, even when I was working in retail, you know, you went in, you punched in, you did your eight hours and you punched out and you felt, okay, that's, that's my day. I did it. Um, and with working from home, I've, I've found that like, you know, finishing a chapter in a book or 
you know, handing in some pay sheets to finish off a project or whatever was is my, my main accomplishment. And then that started slowing down a little bit during all this. And I realized that I wasn't getting the, you know, dopamine hit from accomplishing something that I used to get. Right. And so right. I started cooking more and I started like I just picked crocheting back up to do before I go to bed at night. Because at least I can look at my crochet project I'm working on and go, oh, I did like, you know, 10 rows tonight. Go me. I did something. I can see it. It's in front of me. And same with like, I randomly baked scones last night because we had extra blueberries. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I know how to make scones. Let's make scones. And at the end of, you know, an hour, I had scones. And I was like, look, it's, it's a thing I can point to and say that I did it. And so sometimes when you're talking about whether it's word count or editing or whatever, as, as Eddie is saying, just do what you can and you can look at it and you can go, look, I did that. That's a thing I did today. And let yourself feel good about that. That's like the main thing is like, don't beat yourself up because you only wrote 500 words today. Be like, I have 500 words today. Um, I saw a, a, a Tumblr post or a Twitter thread or something a while back that said that Someone found out that Terry Pratchett, who was, you know, very prolific, um, only wrote 400 words a day. That was his goal. Every day was 400 words, but he did it every single day. And so if you write 200 words a day, you're still half as good as Terry Pratchett, who published, you know, tons of books. Yeah, like 38 novels or something. I think it was more than that. But yeah, so like, that's not bad. You're not, you're not doing bad if you're writing, you know, 200, 400 words a day and you can build up from there if you need to. And then you might find that one day you bust out 3000 words because you were just feeling particularly inspired. That's that, that tends to be how I write is I'll like poke at it for a few days and then I'll sit down one day and write like 8k and I'm like, oh, cool. But I've, I've always been like that. I'm a weirdo. Don't compare yourself to me. Um, Uh, I am, I am very strange in how I write. (laughs) Well, I, I've got a. A method, I guess, that I've, um, I, in fact, I've had a few methods that have obviously changed around as, uh, as my time has either become more or less available, or there's more or less pressures in the world or on my time. Uh, oh, and I should just, uh, as a callback, uh, the author Eddie was referencing was Christopher Isherwood, the author of, uh, Goodbye to Berlin, the inspiration for Cabaret. Um, mm. but yeah, I love Cabaret, my favorite music. Uh, uh and yeah i i just found that short interview quite interesting uh it's on the bbc archive on twitter which always pops up with interesting uh videos but anyway the thing i've found even more so in this time of pandemic is i need to segment my work and i don't mean by word count uh so i I likewise try to aim for a similar thing as Eddie. You know, I, it would be ideal to do a thousand words a day or thereabouts. But I'm also very conscious of the type of work that I've got. And therefore, if, let's say, I've got a bunch of stat blocks to write, or I've got story hooks to write, or I've got character bios, or I've got a one long run-on scenario to write, or something else, you know, uh, each one requires a kind of different muscle. And the amount of word count you're going to get out of each one as well can be wildly different because stat blocks, Mm -hmm. while they may take as long to write as a character bio, often contain far fewer words. So if you're measuring yourself purely on the metric of how many words you've written, the fact that you've just written you know, strength, dex, con, etc., and a number beside them and things like that uh, isn't going to reflect the amount of effort you've put in. So one of the ways that I manage my time and productivity 
uh, is by dividing my days up or my working hours, I guess, up into, okay, so during this chunk, I'm going to do just this kind of work. I'm just going to do stat bugs. I want to get them all out of the way. And I found recently, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, I recently had to solo a Call of Cthulhu book for Chaosium. It hasn't been announced Ooh. yet what which book okay. it is, but it was 120,000 words. It was a book where I, I went to them and I said, hey, I'd love to work on some more Call of Cthulhu because it had been a while. And they said, what would you like to work on? And I said, well, I've got an excellent idea for this. And they said, that sounds great. What kind of word count are you thinking? And I said, oh, about 120,000 words would probably cover everything that I've got planned. And I and they said, what kind of chapter breakdown would you like? And I just said back in an email, I'm thinking this, 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 and this. At which point I expected they would want to hire a team because that's what we always right. do at Onyx Path. <laughs> and right. I might develop. And they said, it's on you. And, you know, you'll earn <laughs> the, the money for the word count. Uh, now it's on you to write 120,000 words. Now, I can honestly admit that I've never had an assignment that large all to myself before and especially lacking any kind of structure there wasn't even an outline for this book this was just mm-hmm. all spitballing by email and all of a sudden i was in charge of it and undoubtedly i dropped on in productivity and my commitment to this project because it just seemed too voluminous you know there was just far yeah. too much that's to a lot yeah, I had no idea where to... And so I tried starting from the beginning. You know, I just thought, I'll just work from beginning to end like a moron. Because <laughs> the the end, when you've got that many words to write, is a very long way away. It's like you said, Dixie, you know, you don't start a marathon. Um, especially when you've never written a book solo before. Mm-hmm. Um but that's what I found myself doing. And so I got I got delayed and I had to explain to uh, my contact at KOCM, look, I'm falling back on this because I'm I'm struggling with this these parts. And they said, that's all right. We've got faith in you. We've got confidence in you, which was lovely. They didn't offer me direction because I don't think they felt they had to. And my the project wasn't time critical, but it was time critical to me because it was hanging over me. Right. And it was only hanging over me because... It was in my head. No one else was hanging it there. And so in the end, and it were, and I only really knuckled down and got into this as soon as the pandemic hit, which didn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just broke the book up into tiny portions. I mm-hmm. thought, okay, so every scenario in this book is going to have to have characters. So let's spend a day just doing the characters. And then the next day it was, okay, so we would need some magical artifacts in this book as well. And although they're spread out throughout the book, let's spend the next two days doing magical artifacts and spells. And so I did that. And because it was like a puzzle, and it was like you're just doing the edges of the puzzle, but you're making the edges so that you've got something contain- to contain the middle and something to inform the middle. Uh, it's much the same way as I find myself writing scenarios most of the time it's if i write the characters first before i've even got the plot in my head the plot forms because of who the characters are Mm -hmm. and so exactly the same in this once i had actually spent the time building that structure for the book of who are the interesting characters and why are they interesting what are their spells and what do they do now i can start thinking okay so if this person uses this spell on this person that creates a plot 
Mm-hmm. And that was how I became productive on a massive project that I managed to turn in eventually. But yeah, that was hugely daunting and nothing like I'd ever dealt with before. Yeah, that's a lot. I, uh, sorry, go ahead, Daddy. No, I was just going to agree that um, uh, the best thing to do when you have a massive task like that is to break it down into small chunks, ideally chunks that you can do in a day. Yeah, um, it's... So yeah, that momentum. It's interesting. It's it's something that I was actually really good at doing in college. Like if I showed you my college planner, every day has like all these little micro tasks where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, write introduction to X paper, work on an X poem, do this, uh, write this piece for the paper, you know, whatever, like do, do your math homework, et cetera. Um, and like every day I would meticulously plot out what I would do to make sure I could turn everything in on time. Um, and at some point I lost that <laughs> and I'm trying to get back into it. And it's, it's, it's been really helpful. Um, Eddie's been giving us a lot of advice during these, these workflow courses he's been teaching us and also just one-on-one talking about how to break down projects. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, Eddie? Like what you, you found some of the best ways to break down larger projects into small chunks there? Honestly, I think uh, Matthew did kind of cover a, a lot of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, really just kind of to, to reiterate the points um, is is if you uh, – one thing is that if you just write down your task list, um, uh, it, it looks what's called, like all flat. Um, if you write down check email and write book for Cassium on a sheet of paper, they look like, oh, there's two tasks. They're basically equal. And that's, that's clearly not true, obviously, right. um, unless your email is – like Michael Cheney's, you're, you're not going to check your email in more time than it takes to write a book for Chaosium. Um, but if you, uh, when you break down tasks, you not only want to get them to kind of to about a day's worth of tasks, but also ideally you want to weight them um, to give a sense of this task is going to take roughly X amount of time. It doesn't have to be actual time estimates. Some people prefer time estimates, um, but it can just be, it'll take me about a day. It'll take me about half a day. It'll take me, you know, five minutes, whatever. Um, and then when you start to, to weight those tasks and, and, and uh, recognize them for how big they are, then you can actually start to plan and put things together. Um, I use uh, a modified uh, Fibonacci sequence for my tasks. So I rate them uh, a number of points, uh, zero, one, two, three, or five, um, with five being a full day and one being you know a, a, a noteworthy amount of time, like maybe you know, half an hour or so. Um, and I know I can do about, you know, if, if five is a full day, then I could do five points of tasks roughly a day. Uh, so when I start to plan, if I know like, okay, I've got a big chapter coming up, uh, and that chapter's taking me a whole day. Well, the odds of me having a day where I could just, just focus on chapter, nothing else uh, these days are pretty slim. Uh, so I have to try to break it down even further if I can, um, or recognize that tasks take me two real days to do one work day of worth of work. Uh, So when you're breaking down those tasks, you want to try to avoid that whenever you can, because you want to get to that sense of accomplishment. Like like both Matthew and Dixie said is, you know, I I made these characters and they're done. Um, If you have one task, which is make book, you feel like you're getting nowhere. If you have, I think it's it's not not unreasonable to say a hundred small tasks, I'll make a book and you accomplish one or two a day then yeah, you still have 98 to do, but that's still, you know, I 2% done. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something. Um, and it does add up. Uh, 
you're ideally when you when you break down tasks, what you want to do is you want to get them down to the smallest unit and then only focus on what's in front of you at the moment. Uh, uh, something I've been thinking about recently actually is uh, walking. Right around, right before COVID hit, um, I was like, I need to start exercising more. And with a lot of my physical health problems, that was always difficult to do. Uh, and uh, because I live in Atlanta, it is unbearably hot during the day usually. Uh, so I, yep. like, well, I want to start walking. And when COVID hits, like, well, I need to get out of the house once a day. Um, something actually uh, Matthew started uh, last year was just uh, uh, get the fuck out of the house once in a while. You know, fuck off out. Fuck off out. Um, <laughs> foo. 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 And I wanted to kind of build on that. And it's like, okay, well, I can't go out to like the coffee shop or the library like I used to. So I'll just start walking. Um, and uh, my goal was really just go out and walk. Just do it. Walk around the block if I have to. Uh, and then after that, it's like, okay, well, it's pretty easy to do. Um, so I, I started going for kind of arbitrary metrics. Um, at the one time, I got a pedometer. And so it's like, I'll do 3,000 steps. Um, and then it's like, oh, 3,000 steps are pretty easy to do. I'll do 4,000 steps. Uh, and I kept building and building and building. Um, and now I walk about an hour a day. And so on the one hand, there's uh, the metric of, okay, well, now I've, I've seen that number grow. And I've been able to do that, but that's over the course of like four months. Um, and just every day, my goal is just get out there and walk for a block. And some days I just can't. There's there certain days where it's like, I, you know, it's raining. So like I, I, I'm blocked in the sense of I can't actually go outside because it's raining. And some days I get up and it's just like, I'm just, I'm sore. I'm not feeling it. I'm sick, whatever. Um, and say, okay, well, you know, I don't have to walk absolutely every day, but can I at least you know, go back to the walk around the block. Can I go back to my old bare minimum? And the other thing that's helpful is uh, now that I have a, a, I actually moved up from a pedometer to a Fitbit. And so it's all sorts of cool data. Um, most of which I <laughs> only vaguely understand. Uh, uh, but one of them is, it occasionally says, I get an email and says, hey, this is how many steps you walked in the month. And it's like, I walked 72,000 steps. Oh my God, I had no idea I did that. Um, so, Go you. So, so we, one of the things about productivity that's that's valuable is not only accomplishing things, but also being able to look back and seeing what you've accomplished and using that not only as a recognition of look at how much I've done, but also look at how much I can do. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in the moments, it can be really easy to kind of just go, okay, well, I did a thing. The thing's done. Great. Um, but to look back and say over the course of the month, I, you know, I, I wrote seven chapters and I, you know, kicked off four projects and whatever it can, you really start to see how much you've accomplished and that can help spur you on to more productivity. And also conversely, it can also allow you to, to ease up on yourself. Cause that's the other mm -hmm. side of this is, um, like you said, Vixie, it's the, well, I'm not feeling good today, but I'll just make it up tomorrow. And that could be a really good instinct to have is, you know, it's the, as long as the work gets done, when it gets done, isn't necessarily important. But on the flip side, when you start to recognize, okay, I am putting one Lego block next to the other and eventually I'm building something where I'm putting the edges of the puzzle together to use Matthew's analogy. And I can see there's progress. It's the, okay, so if I take a day off, all that other stuff is already done. So it's not gonna destroy anything if I just take a little time for myself because I just really can't today. And you take care of yourself um, because especially when you're self-employed, like uh, uh, most of us are, um, you're the only person who can produce 
you don't have someone you can tag in to take over your shift. You know, the other person's got to do it. And if you take the yeah. yourself, you run yourself into the grounds, you're done. So, yeah, procrastination is also a great source of inspiration, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the benefits of going walking, going to the gym and all that, uh, watching a TV show, playing a video game, or the best thing, in my opinion, reading a book is a great way of procrastinating, putting your work off, and yet also gaining some kind of inspiration. Uh, and, it, and often the inspiration that comes from these things is very much at a subconscious level. It's just going to kind of filter in at the edges. But not only are you relaxing, you're also taking in new ideas. And if you're reading, you're learning different ways of expressing yourself just mm -hmm. on a completely passive level. Um, and I think that I have I gained so much from taking a week off and reading. Um, I, I went back to some of my sort of old J.G. Ballard porns, but I was also reading uh, Naked Lunch which is a dreadful book to read in many ways. It's a complete mess uh, in terms of organization, yeah. but it's supposed to be. But the way it's written made me think, wow, what if you could actually write an RPG with some of this kind of structure? What if, if, what if we were able to layer some of the descriptions that the author uses, that Burroughs uses, um, in the way we describe our characters and events in games? This contains so much flavor. And I just wouldn't have even considered it if I had just thought, no, you know what? I have just got to work. I have just got to keep returning to my keyboard and writing whatever is in my head mm -hmm. and it's it's an often a fear of mine uh it, that i will sacrifice um i guess the opportunity to learn new things in order to be more productive and i think we've all felt it at some point or other that i can't remember the last time i read a book from beginning to end or mm -hmm. yeah or even had or even ha felt like i had the energy to read something new and yet doing so, I think, is just has so much value to us as writers. Of course it does. Um, and yeah, ne nevertheless, I often feel scared that at some point I'll reach a state where I've written more books than I've read. Uh, or, you know, uh, it will get to a silly point where I have certainly written more books than I've read in the last years that I've been writing. Um, and I, who knows, I think there probably have been some years where I did do that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's alarming. Uh, and I think that one shouldn't be afraid to procrastinate if it's, uh, it, and it almost always will, end up making you a better and more productive writer after you've procrastinated. Mm -hmm. Not prevaricated, that's a completely different word that means something right. very... No different. one would use that word. <laughs> no, you'd have to be a fool, a fool to use the wrong word. Oh, no. Um, but uh, you bring up a really good point. Um, uh, uh, I remember twice when that really happened to me. Um, uh, once uh, recently we took a vacation, which we've talked about on the, on the Pathcast. Um, and during that time, I actually had a chance to read uh, Say Nothing by uh, Patrick Radden Keefe, um, which is a story about... Uh, 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 Belfast and the IRA during the Troubles because uh, it's a part of history that America has a very skewed view of and I wanted to get a better sense of it um, and, but during that uh, they actually spend a lot of time going into um, uh, there was a, a, a 
controversial program where they actually got recordings of various members of the IRA and put them into uh, a library in Boston. And ultimately, because of the way they were recorded and structured, they ended up being evidence in a murder case and got subpoenaed, which means all these people who attested, who recorded under anonymity suddenly got outed. Uh, and it got me really thinking about how um, when you're trying to track information or trying to catalog information, you're not divorced from events, which get, led me to some ideas for where I can go in future with Pugmire, because Pugmire is about trying to understand and catalog and, and keep all of the lost knowledge of man. But by the act of doing that, it, it exists in a society that is ongoing and changing, and that's going to impact and slant and modify what you're trying to do with that information. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that would never necessarily come up, but if I hadn't taken the time to read that book. Uh, another time is absolutely Matthew's fault because um, when I moved to Ireland, uh, uh, he was, he was, I was, I was, you know, not ready to bring over many people. And I was kind of like, you know, trying to uh, uh, figure out what to do with my life at that point. It's like, we had just moved and I was like, I don't really have any friends in this time zone right now. Um, and he was very nicely uh, just sent me out of the blue, a copy of a Ballard book, a high rise, um, which I loved. And um, one of the things that I got out of it was the structure of the book was, is really, really fascinating. And something I actually, when I talked about it, he didn't realize, um, but you know, he, the, the chapter setups are done in a very specific way. And then they break the structure at the end. It got me really interested in looking at uh, uh, not only the, smaller structure I'm used to of how a sentence is formed and how paragraphs align, but also just how you organize uh, uh, the information and how you can use that structure to your advantage and get a certain message to a reader. Um, and, and that really informed kind of how I structured Pugmire and Monarchies of Mal when I was working on those. Um, so those are all things that I was like, oh, I, you know, I just want to sit down and read this book or I want to sit down and watch this TV show or I play this game. You're taking a break in the sense of you're refreshing yourself, you're not working, but it doesn't mean your subconscious isn't still working. It doesn't mean you're not something churning in the back of your head that's still mm -hmm. thinking about things. So vacations are really good because it, it, it may feel like you're not working, but you actually are still feeding the machine as it were. You're still getting stuff done. It's just not obvious stuff. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I've been um, I've been rewatching Downton Abbey, um, and I just re. re I just rewatched re the show The Paradise because I am playing a Victorian character in a game, and so I've been watching mm -hmm. these kind of period pieces. They're a little later than Victorian, but they're they're close, um, right. mostly just to get like accents and speech patterns down because um, it's a private game, not a streamed game. So I feel comfortable doing my okay, not great British accent. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm watching those, but every now and then, like my, my boyfriend has also seen Downton Abbey, even though he's not watching it with me and I'll come in, I'll be like, Oh, it's the episode where blah, blah, blah dies or whatever. And we'll have a conversation about structure based on that because, you know, he also writes and he'll like often he's like, Oh, I didn't like how they handled that one. I thought it could have been done more, you know, like more dramatically or whatever. And I'm like, I actually like the fact that it was a less dramatic scene because I think that that shows that, you know, death comes for us all or whatever. And we'll have these interesting conversations about story dynamics. And in the moment, I'm just like, oh, I'm talking to my boyfriend about a TV show. And then when I think about it later, I'm like, oh, we're actually sharing our perspectives on how we think story structure and narrative should work. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that is on some level, you know, a thing that contributes to my writing and my work. 
Um, mm-hmm. Because if we have different ideas on how something should work, that's that's interesting. And I am learning from him, and he is learning from me. And um, you don't think about it in the moment, like like you said. I was I uh, du- during our week off, I pretty much just played Pillars of Eternity to Deadfire for mm-hmm. the whole week. Like that's that's what I did. I have played Yarr. it before. I have finished it before. Um, it's not a pirate game. It is. You're on a ship. You, you don't have to be a pirate. You're a you're a you're a servant of a god. Yeah, pirate, pirate, pirate god. Servant of a god. No, a death <laughs> god. You got shit to do. Um, pirate death god. <laughs> anyway, so I played through it once before as a like human character, very compassionate, very nice, and I thought I had to play a more interesting like esoteric playthrough for this one. So I was playing a death god like, and I was trying to make different uh, decisions based on what I thought my character would do, and like a whole different multi class class, and it was really in- like that's that's something else that I think about contributing to RPGs is when you do a playthrough of a computer game um, that allows you to customize your character that way, it is very much like playing through the same scenario in a, in a tabletop role-playing game with a whole different character and how you would right. react differently. And that means that when you're working on games, you kind of look back and you go like, oh, that's interesting because how would a druid interact with this versus how would a fighter interact with this? Is there mm-hmm. something for everyone to do in this scenario? Um, is anybody going to be left out because they're playing a talky character and this game is a lot of fighting, you know? Um, so we should give the charisma based character something to do, like whatever. And thinking that way from playing video games has actually, I think, helped me work on things like adventures for our stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just interesting how the, 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 the things that you don't think of as contributing to your work or your creativity actually do. Yeah, um, and I I think that extends also to getting a chance to play and run role playing games just in general. Yes. Uh, it's a there's always great risk that in any profession that you enjoy the focus of uh, that you end up getting soured to it. That you know eventually you start to hate the thing you love or the thing that got you into it in the first place. I think that's, that's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. one of the best ways to mitigate that and also for that those games to still be a source of your productivity is to embrace them, to play them, to run them. And much the same as getting inspiration from other media, um, I think that you can gain a huge amount of inspiration for whatever you're working on by playing games that aren't in your normal wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, yeah. you know, flexing a little, testing yourself. And yeah, right now I've got a ridiculous number of games on the go, courtesy of the fact that I've got some very generous people backing my Patreon, and so they they uh, subscribe and I run games for them. And as I don't want to run the same game for each group i've got four different games going <laughs> as as well as a game i'm running for my home group uh who you know we're still meeting online to do that and i'm also playing a game with my home group so i've got six games going they're all different and i worry sometimes uh, i do seem to be doing a lot of worrying in this uh, that, that if i wasn't getting a chance to run and play games especially during this time when we feel so strained in terms of productivity uh, because of everything going on in the world, I would be getting very jaded 
about the about games, about the industry, about what I'm doing with my time, I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel like it's as enjoyable, certainly, if I wasn't getting to put ideas into practice, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, an awful lot of what I'm doing with Pendragon, as I'm running it right now, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so how can I sort of reshape that, reapply that into another game? Uh, you know, I love these th- these uh, the idea of building a family in a game and having rivalries from siblings and half siblings and bastard siblings and things like that. And um, how can we sort of insert that into games that we write? So, how might mm-hmm. a scion uh, work with siblings from the same god? Is there a natural rivalry there if there's two scions of Zeus in the same city? Mm. Um, that kind of thing. And I think. Yeah, uh, play, getting a chance to play games, although they can be time-consuming, can then act as huge sources of inspiration to us as writers and developers. And that, again, fires up my uh, my creativity and productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things, uh, one short and then one, I'm going to change topics as a good segue, but um, one of the short things is that also unrelated hobbies can, can really help uh, disconnect. Um, Dixie mentions crocheting. Um, right mm-hmm. now, um, I've become really obsessed with um, two different uh, Russian versions of Sherlock Holmes on television, um, as people in one of our discords have been badgered with. Because I'm like, oh my god, I've got this new DVD, and it's so amazing. Quit saying badgered um, and stuff. We <laughs> like listening to you. I know. We think it's cool that you're so into it. Um, but it's 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 interesting because it, you know it allows me to think about a part of my life that that's not related to work, um, and allows me to disconnect. Um, but uh, another thing that Matthew kind of mentioned is the, the the fear that you'll start to hate the thing you're working on, um, and I think this ties into productivity really well. It is burnout is a real thing, and all the stuff we're talking about how to stay productive, none of it's going to help you if you're burning out. Burning out is a separate real concern. Um, if you're trying all of these tactics and techniques and you just hate the work, if you just Nothing comes out of it if it feels like a slog, if it feels like everything is a challenge. Uh, you might be burned out. You might you may have worked yourself too hard. It's another reason why I we all have advocated um, taking breaks and uh, uh, procrastinating uh, or even prevaricating if you prefer. Um, as long as you're taking a moment away from it, that can help uh, uh, stave off burnout. But once you're, you're in burnout, Continuing to push, it's not going to help you. Uh, and sometimes that's unavoidable. It's like, okay, well, I'm burned out, but I also have a deadline. I got to get this stuff done. Um, so sometimes it's you have short-term damage control of, okay, I need to get this done. But sometimes you have to walk away for a while and just work on something different or, or just disconnect for a bit. Um, uh, I don't talk about it a ton, but uh, yeah, I've been working in the industry for 20 years. But one of those years, I can't count because I burned out hard. I quit. I, I swore I was never going to come back to the industry. Um, it, I burned out that badly. Uh, and I needed that time to just not think about it for a year. Uh, and then I came back eventually. Um, I, I got a better, more healthier approach to things. Um, you know, do, just little things like not working weekends, uh, trying to get regular hours, things we've talked about in the, the podcast before. Uh, but the, the bigger thing I do kind of want to mention is that if you find that you have hit that point where the thing you're supposed to love you hate now or you, you just can't face it anymore, understand that burnout is not permanent. 
you can come back from it. You can come back to a thing you love. Um, to be a little honest uh, on this uh, recording, um, I burned out pretty hard on Vampire the Masquerade after B20. Uh, I, I could not look at it. It was, it was complicated reasons, a combination of getting laid off from CCP and working on it hard for five years and other unrelated circumstances. Um, but I was, I was convinced I was done. I was like, I'm never going to work on Vampire the Masquerade again. Um, and so one of the reasons I brought Matthew into B20 was like, I, I need someone to kind of hand this off to because I just can't do it anymore. And I know you love this. Let me help you out. Uh, and over the years, um, Matthew has been like, well, can you work on just a little bit of Chicago by night? And it's like, oh, well, you're my friend. So, okay, I'll work on a little Chicago by night. Like, can, you, can you just do the fiction for this book? And now I've done like three or four V5 books. He's, 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 he's quietly snuck me into it. Um, and I find that I, I, I'm not the same level of love I was when I first started Vampire the Masquerade, but I, I, I don't, I, I can look at it again. I can engage with it again. And I can have thoughts and, and opinions about it again. Um, uh, so it, it, it is a real danger when Matthew talks about, you can hit that point where you don't feel like you can do something anymore, but it's not permanent. You, you can, uh, uh, find your love again, but you need, you need to recognize when beating your head against the wall and just continuing to try to be productive may not always be the answer, which feels like it's going against all the advice we just spent 45 minutes giving you, but recognizing that <laughs> sometimes to be productive, you have to just stop working and do something else. Yeah. I've definitely found like, like I was saying, sometimes I feel like I just, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I can't do it. And the best thing for me to do personally is to go do something that has a very quick result or that has mm -hmm. an exciting result at the end. Like I was talking in some of my, my, my discords last week, I made a traditional bolognese sauce, which takes about four to six hours to simmer. Yeah. Um, and I love bolognese sauce, but I've never made it. I've only ever had it in restaurants because it takes four to six hours. Um, and last week I just kind of got it in my head that I wanted to make it. We had the ingredients and I was like, I'm making bolognese sauce. And I spent a lot of the afternoon, you know, checking on it and stirring it and making sure it was doing okay because the kitchen is very far from my office. Um, and at the end of it, I felt so accomplished. A, it was delicious. Mm -hmm. And B, you know, I, 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 I took these four hours, not, not, not four straight hours, obviously, because a lot of it's just leaving it alone. Um, and at, at, at the end, I had produced something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sometimes that's nice. Like, y'all were talking about, like, reading and, and stuff like that. I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts or listening to uh, stories on audio so that I can do things like cook while I'm doing them. Um, yeah. Because I'm still getting a story into my ears, but I'm producing something with my hands. And I think mm -hmm. that... For a while, that's something that I was missing working from home is because it does take a little bit of time to get a hardback book into your hand after you've worked on it. Like I got a POD copy of Pirates of Pugmire because it's my first hardback published. And that was exciting. Like I, I, I held it in my hands and I opened it and there was my name and that was very cool. Yeah. Because I've been editing for a while, but that's, that's my first hardback writing project that's come out. Um, and that, that lifted my whole day, honestly, when I got that in, cause I was just like, I feel accomplished. Look at this thing I helped make, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of times working from home, you, you just don't get that because you're not getting any gratification of seeing like a physical representation of what you did. It's all 
on your computer. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been helpful to me, much much like Eddie's walking and being able to see how many steps he took. Me kind of mm. being able to go like, you know, I made this food or I tried something new or whatever. Like I, I crocheted part of a scarf, etc. It's like super helpful to me personally. Yeah, uh, I, I completely understand that. Uh, I draw characters from Hollow Knight for my son because he really likes that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit too difficult for him to play, but he enjoys watching it uh, while I play. And so, yeah, I draw them by hand and then cut them out, stick them on cardboard, cut that out, and have basically made an entire sort of squad of Hollow Knight characters, and he makes the levels out of blocks and we play with the cardboard characters and if i make a different character every day or every other day i it's again it's that feeling you mentioned again earlier dixie the dopamine hit you know it's this small sense of euphoria when you've got something in your hand and you know you made it Mm -hmm. and and i I get the same way with uh, completing video games obviously some of them take far longer uh, especially pillars of eternity too that that's an undertaking um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fifty sixty hour game depending on how completiony you are. On this run through, I'm being very completionist, so it's probably going to take me a little longer. But my first run was, yeah. I think, fifty five hours, fifty three hours. Yeah, I, I um. So I, I've really taken back to playing platformers uh, and Metroidvanias yeah. uh, as well. So there's a certain amount of choice over the directions you go. But I've really craved linearity in my games during this um, lockdown period because Mm -hmm. I want to know there's an end to the story I'm playing. I feel like if I'm in an open world game, I'm going to meander around and not feel motivated to do it. But if I have, I even played Donkey Kong Country on the Switch, the original one using the Super Nintendo emulator on that. Those are some of my favorite yeah. games of all time, and I will definitely uh, replay them. Dick, I... Dixie Kong. Yeah, well, that's that's the first time I saw a character that had my name. Um, I also really love uh, Yoshi's Island. was one of my yep. favorite games growing up. And so when I saw that was on the Switch or the Nintendo Online thing, I was like, I know what I'm playing, and I played a bunch of Yoshi's Island. Well, one day Eddie and I will complete Double Dragon 2 if he stops jumping down the holes. I do that a lot less than I used to. I didn't say not, <laughs> never, but I do a lot less. Um, but yeah, also, I mean, like, and, and I think some of that also is, I'm, I'm speaking for you a bit, I think, but um, I think you like the challenge of it, too, because I know you were really, like, going all out in Cuphead for a while. It's a hard, yeah. hard game. So uh, that's an odd thing for me, because I've always been pretty good at platform games in terms of doing things like uh, timings and mm-hmm. pattern recognition, I guess, in a way. Uh, but I've I've experienced an odd thing uh, with Cuphead. After I completed it, got my A grades and S grades and the P grades or whatever they were on a bunch of the levels, mm. I went back to watch it for the first time in a in a quite a while for some reason I think I was watching someone's playthrough mm-hmm. and because I recognized a lot of the steps the person playing it was taking it felt like that there was a certain amount of muscle memory in mm-hmm. in but not in my hands I wasn't like just sort of idly tapping an invisible controller uh, my mind was going through the process of it and it felt mm-hmm. like a dance and I know this sounds all very romantic uh, 
and maybe a bit silly, but I was watching it and thinking and kind of just getting into it by by tears. I think, yes, yes, okay, I can get this right. You're doing that, and it felt great to watch someone else to do yep. it because mm-hmm. partly because I knew I've already done this, uh, but because I completely recognised what this person was doing. Um, and yeah, it was a feeling I don't think I've ever had watching someone play a video game before. It was a real sense of accomplishment. Several months after my completing it, it's like it didn't sink in that I had triumphed over this um, notoriously difficult game. But then seeing someone else do it and realizing I did it in a similar way was, oh, OK. So I actually did something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that felt good. And I mean, I think that's uh, to bring productivity a little bit. Um, one of the things uh, I, I, I've been telling a lot of people in these classes is um, everyone thinks they're an amazing multitasker and, and they're all wrong. Uh, humans are terrible at multitasking. What humans are good at is taking disparate tasks and chunking them together into one pathway in their brain, um, which goes to the, the cuphead thing is that after a certain point in time, um, you're not thinking about the individual jumps, the individual bullets, the individual patterns. It starts to meld together into your brain into a particular, like I said, dance. A dance is actually a very similar thing. It's like when you learn to dance really well, your body starts to just naturally move in those directions almost without your input. Uh, and productivity can work the same way is that it, you know when you first start to break down tasks and do your planning and figure out your time. It's going to feel extremely artificial. It's going to feel extremely forced and arbitrary. Uh, but over time, you're, you're just going to get. It's going to be very natural to you. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I got a book, so it's already start to figure out what the. And I'm seeing all these chapters here, so I figure that's going to take me a couple of days to week, a few days, blah blah blah. Um, you start to naturally recognize that and, and be able to to fall into that pattern once you establish it in your brain, and. Uh, as a lot of people have asked me like how I can do several projects at once and shift gears between them. It's, it's because it's a, it's a lot of work and effort to get to that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I could only do one book at a time because I just couldn't shift gears that hard. And I was like, well, well if I'm going to be a successful freelancer, I've got to be able to work on at least two books simultaneously. And so I started training myself to do that, recognizing that I was going to lose time, not be as effective to learn that, but over time, eventually do that. So when you're looking at your productivity, you know, all the stuff we're talking about, um, whether you're playing a video game or doing your work or whatever, try to live into the moment of what you're doing and focus on that. And don't try to think about the 12 other things you have to do right now. This is the thing in front of you focus on that. And over time, like with video games, like with reading, like with any skill, walking exercise, you will eventually build up that kind of mental muscle memory and, it will start to flow more naturally and it will start to become easier and you'll get more done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it, everything takes practice, <laughs> including working from home, which sounds like it should be super easy, right? Like you're at home. You don't have to commute. Just get up, you go to your computer, you work all day. Um, that's not how it is. And we've talked about that before and I'm sure we'll talk about it again at some point, but that's, that's just not what it's like. And especially not right now, but even pre COVID, like it wasn't always like that. There are some days where I just couldn't get started or I got distracted by wanting to organize something. And the next thing I know is like, ah, it's half the day gone, but I'm at home. And it's, it's, it's hard to make that delineation between home and work when you work from home, clearly. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. So we're getting towards time. Um, let's do recommendations of things we've been doing that aren't work that, that are fun to unwind with, or that you think help you, you know, get back on track afterwards. Just, just, just fun things. Hmm. Um, okay. Oh, well, I have you, already Eddie. mentioned the 1979 Sherlock Holmes Soviet series, um, which is not something that anyone can easily get their hands on, so I'm not going to necessarily recommend that. <laughs> he badges us about this, doesn't he? Yeah, he's just always <laughs> going on and on about this badger, Russian badger, Sherlock badger, Holmes. Badger. I will just say, Vasily Livinov is a fantastic Holmes, and you know, no one can choose me otherwise. But... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, one thing I have been finding uh helps me unwind is uh, right now i'm really um uh re-watching uh shows uh i've discovered there's a genre of podcast where people will reread or rewatch something and talk about it you've, um, you've just discovered that well i mean <laughs> i i know that there were podcasts for shows that were happening at the moment oh no like but, i you know. i listened to the west wing weekly which recapped all the west wing stuff but well after west wing went off the air and also one of my favorite podcasts was Hellmouthy, which was a, a, a buffy podcast mm -hmm. yeah yeah i just i just discovered um uh, uh fake doctors real friends which mm -hmm. was um to, to the actors from scrubs rewatching um uh, scrubs and actually they also just did a fantastic episode talking and addressing very frankly uh the the instances of blackface on the show so that's another separate really cool thing um but also um jay and miles explain the x-men um has been really great because they go into exhaustive detail about they're right now up to the 90s x-men which i stopped reading at that point in time and so it's like oh this is not good x-men and so they're trying to find what enjoyment they can out of a notoriously rough run of the comic book and it allows me to go back and appreciate older things with a new eye and also kind of like you're talking before it allows me to think about things like structure and approach it from a slightly detached view as opposed to i just love this thing and say oh actually you know why is this episode structured this way and interesting how this character arc changes over time mm -hmm. um, and what was happening in the filming of that episode that allows me to kind of appreciate better what i'm seeing on the screen um those are all really relaxing things because it allows me to let somebody else do the analysis for once as opposed to me having to do it yeah, I've been listening to um, Office Ladies with two of the mm -hmm. actresses from The Office, uh, going back and rewatching it. And it, it's the same thing. It, it's so interesting hearing what's going on like behind the scenes um, and what they all remember, especially because one of them kept a diary that whole time. So she has like oh, actual really? like, this is what we did this day. Um, and the other one kept most of the scripts. <laughs> so oh, they cool. they have all kinds of cool background stuff where they can tell you if something was scripted or if something was an improv, you know, whatever. And it's it's it is interesting hearing them talk, you know, years after the office has gone off the air. Totally. Yeah. My thing I'm going to recommend though it's not a podcast because I recommend podcasts all the time. If anybody ever wants to message me on Discord or something about all the podcasts I listen to, I will send you a <laughs> list because there's a lot of them. Um, but I have been playing Fall Guys, which is ridiculous. Are either of you familiar with, with, with Fall Guys? I think uh, I've heard I, the name, but I don't know I'm about it. Okay, so it's, it's a fairly new-ish video game. It was in beta for a while, but it's, it's full release now. It's only like 20 bucks on Steam. Um... You like it is in the spirit of game shows like Takeshi's Castle and mm. other kind of silly game shows. So you are this little like bean creature guy. You it is technically an MMO because there's 
60 people playing at once at, at, at any given time. And you go through several rounds where it's like races or jumping puzzles or whatever. Um, and one one person wins. But you also get to dress up in really silly like mascot type costumes like pigeon heads and, you know, chicken costumes and hot dogs and stuff like that. And you're running into each other and you're falling over and you're rolling around on the ground because you're in these silly costumes. And you're making little like woo noises and stuff. And it's just silly, <laughs> silly fun. Um, and it's one of those games that I can put on and I can play it for 20 minutes and I can play it for two hours. And I always feel better afterwards. It is one of the only online competition games I've ever played where I don't get frustrated because it's just so silly. Like, if I lose on the first round, I'm like, oh, well, that happens. Um, and if I make it to the very end and I'm like second to grab the crown and I don't quite get it, I'm like, oh, man, but I got to the end. I got second in this pigeon head and tutu that I'm wearing right now <laughs> on my little bean guy that doesn't look like a real person. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it just makes me happy. It just brings me joy. Like when I first turned it on a couple weeks ago for the first time, I, I was just grinning while, while, while playing it the whole time I was playing. And that's not a feeling I've had for a while. It's, it's, it's the same as I think the first time I played Katamari Damashi. Like it okay. is, it is that feeling of like this is silly and ridiculous, and I love it. No, nice. No, 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 no. <laughs> the music in Fall Guys is also very catchy. It's 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 very like game showy techno music. So, but it's uh, it's fun. I love it. I've been watching people play it on Twitch here and there, and I I think what I like about it is yes, it does require some amount of skill as far as jumping puzzles and memorization and stuff like that, but also it's a fair amount of just luck. So. Making it to the end didn't take me that long to start to be able to do fairly frequently. Um, mm. But also, I still occasionally get knocked out in round one or two, like I said, because you fall off of something and then you get stuck and then you're like, ah, no, I'm just, I'm way back behind everybody else. So, well, like, I'll try again. But you can always try again immediately. So it's not really a big deal if you lose in the first round. Okay. Matthew, what do you have to uh, recommend to people for unwinding purposes? So anyone who is a fan of ye olde wrestling uh, may enjoy something Eddie and I have been playing recently called oh, journeyofwrestling.com. It's a essentially a booking simulator, which may not sound fun, but if you're into the sort of um, fantasy football style league tables and things like that, you may enjoy it. It basically is a big database of wrestlers, angles, storylines, uh, federations, and so on across various different eras, and has some amazing detail in it. But it's incredibly simple. And you are booking your shows from week to week, and you could go for WWE or WWF, WCW, AEW, depending on the era you're going in. And uh, because they actually, the people who are creating this, which is all seems to be being made pretty much uh, for free. Mm. The uh, the people creating it have been assigning various wrestlers different traits, different statistics, and they emulate how they are or were when they were performing. So this wrestler may be more prone to injuries or giving people injuries. This person may be over with the crowd no matter which town he's performing in. This person is known as very boring and dry and things like that. And you've basically got to book people in matches and um, book angles that last a certain amount of time, hopefully increasing your the rating of your show and things like that. I've been having a lot of fun with the mid-90s 
uh, WWF, which is the sort of dark era of WWF uh, in the middle of steroid scandals and sort of federal indictments. And so all the wrestlers on your roster are pretty dire, minor, minus about three main eventers. And you're very much fighting an uphill battle to get your WWF to stay on the air while all your competition is getting more and more viewers. And events will pop up to throw spanners in the works. Um, and sometimes you'll get boosts from various things. So, yeah, I- I've really been enjoying that. It's um, It very much appeals to the sort of wrestling historian in me. And uh, to people who aren't into wrestling... I have been getting a lot of enjoyment out of uh, Paper Mario, the Origami King on Nintendo Switch, which is part RPG, part platformer adventure game. And for a Mario game, it has a... In fact, a lot of the Paper Mario games seem to have this, where the humour is very much more adult not not in a sort of vulgar way but yeah yeah there's a lot of black humor in this game um and it's yeah about this origami king who's gone around basically folding up everyone in um the mushroom kingdom oh no and turning them into origami and so uh Princess Peach, for instance, is this origami sort of automaton and is really quite terrifying (laughs) um and yeah, everyone you're coming, you end up having to side with Bob-Oms and Cooper Troopers and Shy Guys and the like, because there aren't many people left who haven't been, what is it, basically zombified into origami. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's just a really well-designed game, as of course most Mario games are, uh, is the sort of flagship. But yeah, I, I really recommend it. It's... Uh, something I always say to people because I encounter this attitude quite often is don't you know sleep on Mario just because it's Mario. Mm-hmm. I think people have this attitude, some people have this attitude that ah, Mario's a kid's game or Mario's a game you played in the early 90s and that's it. Um, you know, Mario 64 was the last good one or some nonsense like that, but Mm-hmm. These games, in terms of things like level design, even storyline, they can be simple, but so interestingly done in a way that is incomparable to anything else. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, really recommend that. That's awesome. Um, okay, we're going to wrap this up. If anybody has any recommendations or productivity tips they want to drop in the comments or tweet at us, please do. Um, on September 3rd, we are starting the Scion Demigod Kickstarter. It'll be next yes. Thursday. Um, I'm super excited for this one. I, even though Pirates Fuck Mary came out first, this is some of the first writing I ever did that was big. Um, and I've seen some illustrations of stuff I wrote. And as we've talked about before on the podcast, that's really cool. Um, and all yes. the other writers on the project are fantastic. We have some new pantheons in it. Uh, there's a lot of really cool art that you'll be able to see on the Kickstarter page. I know that Rich has previewed a bit of it on the blog. Um, so yeah, so check that out. As always, if you back it, you can, you know, look at the manuscript and see if you want to actually get the full version or if you want to get the PDF or the hardback or what have you. But I am super excited and I hope we hit a lot of stretch goals because Science Second Edition is awesome and this is the third, like, core book for it and I'm very excited. So if people did want to tweet at you about any of this stuff, Eddie, where could they find you? Uh, You can find me at uh, PugSteady.com, and from there you'll find all my social media accounts that I occasionally check. (laughs) Matthew? Uh, I will be similarly minimalist, and I won't prevaricate or procrastinate. 
uh, or prognosticate even and Ooh. point you towards matthewdawkins.com where you can likewise find everything you need regarding me. You can find me in most places as Dixie Cyanide, DixieCochran.com. Uh, you can find us everywhere as the Onyx Path, the onyxpath.com. Thank you very much for listening, and as always, many worlds, one pathcast.